So turn in your Bibles to 1 Samuel in chapter 1. And today I want to preach on a travailing church, a travailing church. If you haven't listened to what Paul preached last Sunday, I beseech you, implore you, beg you, request of you to go and listen to it. I am still smarting from that message on Sunday. It, his words have rolled with me throughout the week, just thinking of that over-familiarity, but with the things of God and how we can so settle down into something that was good, uh, something from something that was good to just some kind of normal normalcy of life, normalcy of walking with Him. I believe that all these messages preached for these 10th anniversary series, starting with what Keith preached two weeks ago, Paul last week and me this week. The Holy Spirit is tying these together. He himself is creating a series. This isn't a collusion. We didn't sit down and say, okay, guys, what are we going to preach throughout the week? I did not know what I was going to bring to you until last Wednesday. I wasn't sure. I was seeking the will of God for what I was to preach. But on Wednesday, it just came with such clarity, so clearly to me what it was I was to preach. And I believe it ties in with everything. God is speaking to us in these messages. He's speaking to us at this time. The 10th anniversary is not just something to be celebrated or a point to be marked, but it's God bringing something to our remembrance. He's saying, you've gone 10 years now. What's the next 10 going to be like? The last 10 was was in a particular way. How are you going to walk going forward? He's highlighting to us the, 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 the dangers that are associated with settling down into just normal Christian life, how it can be the death kill of a church that if, if we just settle down into, oh, we just believe in good preaching. We have a Bible study. For 10 years, we've had a prayer meeting. Praise God. If that's your boast, you have a problem here today. We boast in nothing but Christ and Him crucified. His cross, His blood, Christ is our only boast and we must remember that because it was our only boast for the last 10 years and by the grace of God it will be for the next 10 years. Today I'm preaching on a travailing church, a travailing church. 1 Samuel chapter 1 verse 1. Now there was a certain man named Ramatham Zophim of Mount Ephraim and his name was Elkanah the son of Jeroham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuf, the son of Ephrathite. And he had two wives. The name of one was Hannah, and the name of the other was Penina. And Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. And this man went up out of the city yearly to worship, um, to, to worship and sacrifice unto the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, the priests of the Lord, were there. And when the time was that Elkanah offered, he gave to Penina his wife and all her sons and her daughters portions. But unto Hannah he gave a worthy portion, for he loved Hannah. But the Lord had shut up her womb, and her adversary also provoked her sore, for to make her fret, because the Lord had shut up her womb. And as he did so year by year, when she went up to the house of the Lord, so she provoked her. Therefore she wept and, and did not eat. Then said Elkanah, her husband, to her, Hannah, why weepest thou, and why eatest thou not? And why is thy heart grieved? Am I not better to thee than ten sons? So Hannah rose up after they had eaten in Shiloh, and after they had drunk, now Eli, the priest, sat upon a seat by a post of the temple of the Lord. 
and she was in bitterness of soul and prayed unto the Lord and wept sore. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if thou wilt indeed look on the affliction of thine handmaid and remember me and not forget thine handmaid, but wilt give unto thine handmaid a man-child, then I will give him unto the Lord all the days of his life. And there shall no razor come upon his head. And it came to pass, as she continued praying before the Lord, that Eli marked her mouth. Now Hannah, she, now Hannah, she spake in her heart, only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore Eli thought she had been drunken. And Eli said unto her, How long wilt thou be drunken? Put away thine, thy wine from thee. And Hannah answered and said, No, my Lord, I am a woman of sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. Count not thine handmaid for a daughter of Belial, for out of the abundance of my complaint and my grief have I spoken hitherto. And when Eli said, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant thy petition that thou had asked of him, and she said, Let thy handmaid find grace in thy sight. So the woman went her way and did eat, and her countenance was no more sad. And they rose up in the morning early and worshipped before the Lord and returned and came to the house in Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. Wherefore it came to pass, when the time was come uh, about after Hannah had conceived, that she bare a son and called his name Samuel, saying, Because I have asked him of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we thank you, O God. For your word, O oh God, we thank you, O oh Father, Lord, for who you are, O oh God, and Lord, that you do answer our prayers, O oh God, and Lord God, that we can say in our lives we have many Samuels because the Lord has heard, O oh Father. Lord, we long to birth more Samuels in that place of prayer to seek your face, to travail before you, O oh God, Lord, in all things, O oh God, Lord, that we would not, Lord God, lose the run of ourselves in this day and age, O oh Father, Lord, that we would not forget, O oh God, Lord, who made us and who framed us, O oh Father, Lord that we would not forget who's the author and the finisher of faith, O oh God. Lord, as the thorns of life, O oh Father, Lord God, encompass us, O oh God, and try, O oh God, Lord, to temper us, O oh Father, Lord, and let us be not as extreme, O oh Father, Lord, but we ask you, O oh God, Lord, that we would not fear as Hannah, Lord, did not fear, O oh God, Lord, that we would cry out to you, that we would weep, O oh God, that we would travail, O oh God, that we would seek your face, O oh God, and Lord God, that we would see the fruit, O oh God, a man-child in our midst, O oh Father, Lord God, that's going to change the face of Ireland, oh God, that will change the face of Europe, oh God, that will change the face of the Western world, Northern Hemisphere, globe, oh God. Lord, we ask you, oh Father, Lord, do it within us, oh God, that we might know what it is to travail as individuals and corporately as a church, oh God. We ask it in Jesus' mighty name, oh God. Saints of God, what does it mean to travail? To travail is to labor hard. It's an unpleasant experience or situation that involves a lot of hard work, difficulties and or pain. To give birth, which in the English is to, to be in labor, that's what we say, work, especially of a painful or laborious nature, that's what it means to travail. Uh, to travail is a physical or mental exertion or piece of work. To travail is to be in agony. It is to be in torment. The Apostle Paul says in Galatians, My little children, of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed 
in you. This word travail is often talked in the Bible about that time of a woman being in labor. Nowadays we talk about in labor. You ever think, why do we use the word in labor? Labor is to work. That's how we understand it. These two words, travail and to labor, are synonymous. The word travail comes from an old Latin word, travalin, which means to be in torment or to be tortured. It comes from a, a, a torture instrument which meant tree stakes and however they implemented that I don't know but it was a it was a use of torture instruments and so they brought that in that's what it means to travail the birth of that word is to be tortured to be in torment and that's what we read here of Hannah a travailing church I want us to look at what it means to be a travailing church saints of God if you did not know this church was birthed in the midst of much travail much travail of uh, pastor keith and sister candace much travail of the people that were there praying week in week out every friday night we travailed we called upon the name of the lord but don't just get it messed up now travailing is not just prayer that is one aspect of it but travailing is a lifestyle it is to labor it is to be in agony it is an attitude of heart it is to work towards a goal to bring forth something when a woman is in travail we understand that she is in much pain but eventually there's going to be a child there's going to be a child at the end of all of that so we know much pain will bring much joy that is the expectation of what it is to travail and saints of God if God can have himself today a travailing church we will change the nation of Ireland we will change our own lives we will change our own families but we must travail we must have an attitude of travail that's why i say you have to listen to what paul preached last week if you're not on your face travailing before god by listening to what the spirit of god said to us last sunday then you are dead can i tell you that today you have lost the ability to feel pain if you cannot listen to what was preached last Sunday and it does not prang your heart it does not change you it does not put in a desire to say I have been presumptuous and I no longer want to be like that saints of God we have to come back to what this is so today I want us to look at what is a travailing church and remember Keith said there's those three messages choose your church he was preaching at the beginning of this church and it's fitting that we look upon the book of Samuel yet again now 10 years later to remember again where we started and to calibrate how we've been in the meantime and to set our direction going forward saints of God this travailing church is loved by the bridegroom and I want to start with that because this this idea of travailing this can be very hard for us but you know what it begins with the blood of Jesus it begins with how she is loved by the bridegroom it says in Samuel when the time was come that Elkanah offered he gave to Penina his wife and to all her sons and daughters portions but unto Hannah he gave a worthy portion why for he loved her so Penina she got a portion and all her sons and daughters they got portions but Hannah she got a worthy portion saints of God that travailing church God gives a worthy portion too now he does not forget those that do not travail he gives unto them a portion he gives to them a measure of grace but to the church that will travail to the people that will travail he will give a worthy portion and he will say I love you this name Elkanah means God has 
purchased. I believe that Elkanah here is a type of Jesus Christ, the Redeemer, someone who purchases something. He redeems that thing. And so he loves Hannah. I believe Jesus Christ loves the true bride of Christ. I believe that Jesus Christ gives a worthy portion to the bride of Christ. Well, you might say, oh, well, God's a loving father and Jesus is just, so he gives everybody the same. He does not give everybody the same. To those that seek him earnestly, he will give more. The Bible even says the preacher who labors in prayers and in the word is worthy of a double portion. What you reap, you will sow. God's not a socialist, my friends. God does not just steal from the rich and give to the poor. To the people that are serious before him, he is going to give more too. Whatever you reap, you will sow. And it's as simple as that. Hannah was reaping good seed. And this is an important place for us to start. We must be very careful as to how we judge the blessing of God. We must be very, very careful to how we judge the blessing of God. Because two people, one will look at Penina and one will look at Hannah. And they'll say, naturally, Penina, she's blessed. Do you know that Penina means jewel or pearl? So you look at the two names. What does Hannah mean? It means grace or favor. You look at the two names. You think poo, uh, 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 pearl or jewel. You think that is the one that is blessed. She's the one with all of the children. But I believe that Hannah is more favored and more blessed because we hear a lot more about Hannah. We hear about her prayer life. We hear about how she travailed for a child. We even have the names of her firstborn child, Samuel. God wanted to immortalize Hannah and to show people throughout all of human history what it means to live for God and to call upon God. You know, Mary's name, Mother Mary, or Jesus' Mother Mary, it means bitterness, and yet the Bible also says that she was, she was uh, blessed. Elkanah does not join Penina in ridiculing, because remember, Penina is the one that ridicules her day and night. He does not join in in her ridicule, but rather gives her a worthy portion. In our own heads sometimes, the devil tells us one thing and then we think that Christ is going to back the devil up. We think that our God is an austere God and, believe, and we just believe all the wholehearted lies and we believe that they generated in the throne room of God. And yet the first time we ever saw the devil, what was he doing? He was lying. And so Hannah, she is blessed of God. No matter how she feels, no matter how much she is in travail, the travailing church is blessed of God. The persecuted church is blessed of God. There is a worthy portion that is bestowed upon them to keep them. I think Brother Keith will testify, if we did not have a worthy portion from God throughout the years of this church, we would not still be standing so many people left us. So many false converts came in. So many people opposed us. So many people had a desire to not see us flourish or function in this city. The fact that we still stand, we still preach the same message, we have not allowed compromise in means that God himself has blessed us and given us a worthy portion. Saints of God, we must understand what it means to be blessed of God. Hannah was blessed of God. Even in the midst of her barrenness, she was blessed of God. You know, it says in the Revelation of the church of Smyrna, these things said the first and the last which was dead and is alive. I know thy works and tribulation and poverty, but thou art rich. So he says you are poor, you have poverty, but in brackets he says, 
but you are rich. You're an actual rich church, and that's to be coupled with Laodicea, who we know uh, was a rich church in finances, but he says you are poor and you are naked. Do you know that the Laodiceans, they come from an area in Turkey where they're very well known for textiles. Even to this day, Turkey is known for textiles, clothes. Many of the clothes that are in our high street shops, they're, they're, they're formed in Turkish factories because of the, 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 um, the fertility of that land and all the textile industry. <clears throat> it was the same in that day. The Laodiceans were known for their garments. They were known for how well they were dressed. And yet God says, you are naked. That's a church that didn't know how to travail. That's a church that did not, that said they had no need for nothing. And if you say this day, you have no need for anything, then you don't know what it is to press into God. We all need more from God day and day and day. You know, this church, Smyrna and Philadelphia, they were the only two churches that did not have any point of rebuke that was brought to them. He basically says, says to the people in Smyrna, he says, you're going to be delivered up on to the people of this earth and they're going to kill you but hold faith and I will give you a crown of life and you might say that's not much of a blessing brother so well that's what a rich church looks like that's what a successful church looks like that's what a church walking with the Lord looks like and that's what we must look like saints of God we must seek the Lord God Almighty and we must recalibrate what it means to be blessed before God we I want God's blessing here today I want to know what this is to have God's blessing I don't want to be poor and naked like those Laodiceans. Penina thinks she's blessed because she has children and her name means jewel, but <clears throat> she has had her reward. By shutting up the womb of Hannah, God has brought forth a heart cry in her which will lead to a Samuel. Those children to Penina were probably one of the worst things that can happen to her because all we read about her is in that small little section. But Hannah, through her barrenness, went on her knees and cried out to God and brought about Samuel, saying to God, God is trying to call something out of us. He's trying to get our attention. We are so distracted nowadays with the cares of this world, the lusts of other things, and, the, and, and, all, and all of those things. We are so, so caught up with those things that we have forgot God. We've forgotten about He is the one thing that we must depend upon. We must reclude to Him. He must be our refuge. He must be the one that we come away with. You look at the shepherd in the Shulamite and he says, come away with me. Come away with me. What does she say to him? I've put off my coat. How shall I put it on? He comes in the dead of night. She says, I sleep, but my heart wakes. It's the voice of my beloved that knocks. So she's in bed. She hears him. She hears the shepherd, which is a type of Christ. She's in bed. And she says, but I've already taken off my coat. I've hung it up. And then she doesn't go. And then she does eventually go, but he's not there any longer. She waits too long. And saints of God, that delay when you hear the voice of the Lord, it can be the very thing that's going to grieve the Holy Spirit. I've felt it in my own heart. You've delayed. You've heard it. You've been prompted. And yet you don't do it. You go to the door eventually. Do you know what's sad about that? You've done all the same work. You've just done it too late. You put on your coat. You put on your shoes. You went to see your beloved. You have a semblance of obedience, but it wasn't at the right time. Saints of God, God is drawing a heart cry out of us. This travailing church, not only is she blessed, but she is provoked. She is provoked day and night. It says that her adversary, speaking of Hannah, also provoked her sore. 
She didn't just provoke her. She provoked her sore. What does it mean when something's sore? It means when you touch it, it hurts. It's more sensitive than it would otherwise be. If someone pokes at something and there's nothing wrong with that member of your body, it's perfectly fine. It won't annoy you. But if it's constant and over and over again and maybe you've received an injury there, then that part is sore. And even the little, tiniest bit of provocation is going to inflame that area. Her adversary provoked her sore for to make her fret. She didn't just provoke her sore, she did it with the express purpose to cause her to fret. What does it mean? Causes her to be anxious, cause her to be worried. This woman is acting maliciously. She's acting against her. What does King David say in Psalm number three? Many are they increased that trouble me. Many there be that rise up against me. Many there be which say of my soul, there is no help for him in God. It's one thing when somebody absent-mindedly causes you to fret or causes you issues, but it is a whole other thing when somebody actively intentionally comes against you and have we not seen it in this church for those of you who have been here for a long time you know what that means people who are coming to disrupt the unity the peace the joy the doctrine the love that we have here, they've come with ulterior motives, trying to get into the pulpit, trying to get into your homes, trying to cause you to come out, and they're not doing it because they're misguided. They've done it because they hate what we do here. They hate what you stand for, and they're seeking for a weak chink in the chain. Saints of God, we must be strong. We must be unified. We must understand that provocation is all a part of it. And it's up to you. It's your choice. Do you want to be like Penina or do you want to be like Hannah? Do you want to be... Penina didn't get provoked. Nobody provoked a Penina. She looked beautiful on the outside. She had all of her kids. She had her SUV. She had her five and a half houses. She had her 401k. She had her pension. She had everything together. And she laughed at a little Hannah because Hannah did not have children. She said, said, Hannah, it must be because there's sin in your life. She said, Hannah, it's because you didn't pray enough. She said, Hannah, it's because you didn't fast enough. She said, Hannah, it's because you have not lived a life holy unto God. And the worst bit is Hannah might have even believed her in her sorry, sorry state. Penina motivated by the king of liars. Satan himself causes Hannah to fret. But you know what? What the devil means for evil, Brother Keith, God worked for good because that provocation was so important in the life of Hannah. Without it, she would not have cried out for a Samuel. Hannah saying, avenge me of mine enemy. She doesn't go to Penina. And ye must understand, what did Paul read today? Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. It is God himself who creates vengeance. He's the one who takes out vengeance. And Jesus looks for that. He says, is there going to be faith on the earth that cry out for vengeance against the enemy? Saints of God, we must hate the devil and what he is doing. We don't necessarily hate the servants of him, those people who are absent-mindedly doing it. But we don't set our sights on them. We set our sights to the King of Kings and to the Lord of Lords. We ask for him. What does it mean to be provoked? It means to incite anger, to stir purposely. To incite anger or to stir purposely. This woman, Penina, the other wife of Elkanah, she's, all, she's under Elkanah. She's, I believe that she's a type of a church, but she's a different church. And we've even had it here. People saying that to bring the young in, you have to have chessboards. That's a Penina saying that we need to change our message. We have had men come in and say that 30 years I'm a Christian. Now I have to listen to a, a young novice of three years preaching the gospel. I should be the one preaching. We've had it, saints of God. That's 
Zipanina coming against the Hannah. We've had so many of them, ladies, coming from far afield who have traversed oceans that they might come in here to pull women, single women, out of churches here. That's a Panina coming against the Hannah. Sometimes they've been successful. Sometimes they have not. Sometimes we've used it to seek after God. And sometimes we've used it as learning experiences. But saints of God, that provocation, it's so important. To, it means to incite anger, to stir purposely. There is an enemy purposely making it his business to motivate us to fall, stumble, and to be discouraged and to stop fighting. There is someone called the devil who's actively trying to make you less holy. There is someone called the devil who's actively trying to cause you to go to hell. He's not your friend. And the things that he brings you are not friendly. They're not gifts. They're poison. He comes with the poison of asps. He's trying to bring you to hell. If the devil could, if we were not hedged about by God himself, he would put every single one of us in hell right now. We say, oh, well, the devil wouldn't do that to me. You know, he provided me this and it didn't work out so bad for me. And yet it is the case that that's what the devil is trying to do. The devil is coming against you, saints of God, and we must be careful. He motivated Penina to discourage Hannah. Even in the midst of provocation, she is gracious. She doesn't turn her sights at her aggressor, but instead she seeks God for vengeance in her affliction. You know, the Bible says in Proverbs, a gracious woman retaineth honor. A gracious woman retaineth honor. Ladies, if you want to be honorable here today, be gracious. Be discreet. Put that on your mouth. That's how it should be. That same uh, scripture is a gracious woman retaineth honor. And this is what Hannah does. I look at her and she is what her name means. It is grace. It is favor. That's the way she is to Penina. She doesn't go complaining to Elkanah saying, you need to shut them out to this woman. She goes to the, the Lord God Almighty. Why? Because the Bible says that those that seek him know that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. If you seek him, you know that he is this is a great woman of faith and by it she overcame the barrenness of her womb and brought about a Samuel. Saints of God, it says, Blessed are ye when all men shall revive you and persecute you and shall say uh, all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. <clears throat> Rejoice and be exceeding glad for great is your reward in heaven for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. If you are being reviled for your faith or being reviled in your faith, then this is what Jesus said would happen. People are going to come. They're going to revile you. They're going to persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely. Can I tell you, I don't mind people speaking evil of me if they've totally represented me accurately. I have no problem with that because <clears throat> I am what I am. I'm an open book. But when someone misrepresents me, that's different. If someone is trying to say I was something when I really, really wasn't, that is completely different. And Christ knows that when he's saying this, rejoice and be exceeding glad. What do you mean rejoice and be exceeding glad? Jesus said it. Rejoice and be exceeding glad for great is your reward in heaven. We're not looking for rewards here on this earth. We're, our rewards are in heavenly places. It says in Psalm 143, for the enemy hath persecuted my soul. He hath smitten my life down to the ground. 
He hath made me to dwell in darkness as those that have been long dead. What am I talking about? I'm saying a travailing church is a provoked church. She is a persecuted church. If you have nobody coming against what you're doing, then you're probably a Penina and not a Hannah. I am grateful for the things that we have gone through. And you might say, that's a weird thing to say. So, well, the Bible says we rejoice in trials until Jesus returns. You know, the trying of your faith is finer than gold. And some of the things that we have gone through over the last 10 years has caused us to shake off a little bit of the dross. They've shown us who were false brethren. They've shown us people who weren't invested. They've shown us people who weren't taking it seriously, didn't want to walk with the Lord. They showed us the wolves who were actually in sheep's clothing. It showed us all of those things but how was this done it was true provocation a travailing church is a provoked church saints of God and we must not forget it because saints of God it's not like this was the last 10 years God help us if we forget how to travail we're finished we become a panina we've now got our little Samuel we've now got our little children we now don't have to travail as hard we don't have to uh, wrestle as much with God we don't face the same difficulties sure we did that we know that we reuse the same old testimonies over and over again like a worn out old shoe and we don't seek for God more again in this age saints of God I'm calling you to arms here today I'm calling us to walk with the Lord Another thing is a travailing church is a weeping church. Oh, have we not wept tears over the last 10 years, saints of God? Have we not wept for sinners, family members, grief for, for friends, for the Lord, for our own hearts, for all of these things? A travailing church weeps. We say, we do put on that garment of praise for a spirit of heaviness, but we do weep. And a church that doesn't weep, I think, is dead. I honestly think if there's a church that has no tears coming out of its eyes, then that church has no, has no life within it. Things that are alive cry. Children, what they're very much alive. They cry very regularly, almost daily. People that suffer hardship, they cry. Or maybe what we have done in our lives is insulated us so much in our creature comforts that we have lost the ability to cry. We do everything we can to get rid of those things. But saints of God, it says that <clears throat> she provoked her being Penina, therefore she wept. She provoked her, the devil provokes, and what happens? The response that is crying. Nothing wrong with crying. Do you know oftentimes there's silly Christians see someone in an altar crying, weeping, seeking the Lord, and say, there, there, it's okay. Oh, that must be tough. Do you know, that's the way of the world, trying to console someone when maybe they're having a dealing with God. There's nothing wrong with that. We live in such a comfortable age that we medicate ourselves with drink. We medicate, not in the church, thankfully, but the world medicates itself with drink, drugs, entertainment, television, phones, dopamine hits, uh, all manners of prescription pills. Why? Because it's just dulling down the senses. Real Christians feel everything, and they feel it very, very strongly. When people reach hardship, what do they do? They go down to the pub, they ring one of their mates, they go pop a Xanax, they do whatever it is to take. But the real church of God cries. I know that flies in the face of what these ultra-charismatics say. Do you know what it even flies in the face of the reformed crowd? Because they sit there so prim and proper. We can't cry. We can't wail. The Bible says in Amos that we must howl. It calls the men and the priests to howl. What, what, what animal howls? Dogs. 
dogs howl and yet God calls us to howl. I don't know if you've ever seen a man before the Lord crying out to God to the point at which he's howling but it's not a pretty sight. But when someone's being dealt with God, that's not a pretty thing. Is surgery pretty? If you're a surgeon and you're cutting open someone's body, is that a pretty sight? Far from it. And yet Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones says that after the preaching of the word, we should not necessarily always feel upbeat and high. We should be smarting. We should be a little bit painful. We should be a little bit sore. Why? Because I'm coming in here like a surgeon and I'm, I'm removing something that needs to be removed or I'm putting something back where it needs to be put. You know that the ultimate end of this is going to be for good. But saying to God, the real church is a weeping church. She's a wailing church. She's a howling church. She's a crying church. She's a church in travail. She's a church in torment. She's tormented by her own state. She's tormented by the physical limitations of her body. She's tormented by both real things where she doesn't meet the mark and fake things that she's being lied to about by the devil. She is tormented. Now, she doesn't stay there. God help us. If it is always just a place of torment, then there's no victory. We're moving on to greater things. But through that place of travail and torment, Samuel is going to come. And when Samuel comes, that's when joy comes. We're seeking that. What did Jesus do? He endured the cross. Why? For the joy that was set before him. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. We look to that morning. We look to the east. We look to the sunrise. That's what keeps us going in our dark nights of confusion and travail. She wept it says, and she was in bitterness of soul and prayed unto the Lord and wept sore. When was the last time you wept sore? When was the, and I know many of us have, and I know we've had a very difficult uh, year, and I understand those things. I know the church I'm talking to, but before the Lord, when we seek him, saying to God, even in the midst of that, we suffer a horrendous grief. Last August, we have to be careful that our response isn't to stiffen up and everything's going to be okay. And there, there, brother, keep cheer up. And there, there, sister, cheer up. We must feel these things because God is using it for his plan and he's using it for his purpose. If he was he's a liar and God's not a liar the devil's a liar the devil tells us this what's the, what's the point of this there's no good in this the devil is in your ear saying uh, you know you're just plateauing in your Christian life and there's no good gonna come from this and you're just gonna stay like this until the day you die he was a liar when we first met him and he's still a liar a liar from the beginning the real church she weeps she travails she wept because her adversary provoked her sore every single year it's like Christmas. You know, oftentimes people, Christmas is not a joyous time for, for many people because family get together, wounds get opened. Every single year, I bet Hannah knew this was coming up. She knew they were going to Shiloh to make sacrifice, and she knew I'm going to have to go through this all over again. Maybe she was able to avoid Panina when they were down in Re uh, Rama where they lived. Maybe she could uh, organize her life where she didn't have to engage with her. But every year they went to Shiloh and they met, they, they met up there and she just had to listen to this smug woman Panina talk about how she, was, uh, she wasn't able to birth children and that meant there's something fundamentally wrong with her and God's not going to answer her prayers and God has no plan in this and you're just going to die a childless uh, woman Hannah and there's going to be no good for me. But that's not what God's plan was. She wept because the Lord shut up her womb. She wept because her inability to produce life. Saints of God, many of us, many of you sitting here are only here in the last two, three years, if at all. 
But for those first four years, we wept because of an ability to, to, to produce life. We had lives in us. There was life within us. And I'm not saying the church was dead. Far from it. But, you know, one year passes. Ten people. I was going to say the same ten, but it wasn't. It was, it was a war of attrition. Two years passes. Wow, we're at twelve. Three years passes. Maybe fifteen. Four, five-year passes. And by the grace of God, we were given Hannah's and Rory's and other people that we didn't necessarily go out looking for, but they were brought into our midst. But we travailed on those Fridays, brother. We, you, and, and if you don't know what that was like, I'm telling you here, I'm bringing you to remembrance. Just like Joshua told them to do, to erect these stones for where they passed over to Jordan. Why? Because children were going to be brought up in Israel who did not know what had happened and they were going to walk past these enormous stones and say, what mean these stones? That's where we passed over to Jordan. That's where God split the sea. We walked over dry land and saying to God, I'm telling you, there was Friday nights. We were like a madhouse. We sought him. I'm getting ahead of myself. But we wept. We cried. I remember we cried over the, 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 the homeless people on the street. We evangelized them. We we thought that we, we knew it was only by the Holy Ghost that these men were going to come in. Some of them came to meetings. Some of them didn't. Many of them are dead today. Many of them are still alive. But saints of God, we sought for life. And just like Hannah, we wept over those things. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. That's a very real aspect of Hannah's life. She cried because she was, the Bible says explicitly, God shut up her womb. It says very clearly, God shut up her womb. I don't understand why after two years we didn't have a million people, although I know it wasn't for our good, because God ordained it the way. There's nothing wrong with that, saints of God. There's nothing wrong with crying because of what's in front of you and the reality of the situation. Where it is wrong is you say, my womb's barren, that's it. You know, maybe I can be an auntie to Panina's kids. Maybe I can enjoy the ministry of other people, of Sister Sharon in Berlin or, 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 or you know, other people in, in other parts of the world. They're out there pioneering and they're out there reaching souls and they're out there doing that. We're just barren. That's just, Limerick's just tough ground. Limerick's just hard. God help us. That's the day we're dead. The day that we stop travailing. This, the response God expects from the real church in the midst of such a situation is not to lay down in defeat, but to rise up and to seek him for victory. We're looking for God. We're looking for victory. This real church is a weeping church. You know, it says in the Psalms, I am weary with my groaning. All the night make I my bed to swim. I water my couch with tears. Mine eye is consumed because of grief. It waxed old because of all mine enemies. Depart from me, all ye workers of iniquity. For the Lord had heard the voice of my weeping. The Lord had heard my supplication. The Lord will receive my prayer. David, it says, it says he's weary with groaning, but he also says the Lord's heard him. The Lord hears our groaning, saints of God, as long as we groan. But you know what? When you're just okay with the lot that you have and you're just fine with the situation that you're in, then nothing's ever going to change. God is looking for a people that are seeking for him to inspire faith, to look for victory. Do you know what happens when people injure things? It often happens with ligaments. I've damaged ligaments in the past uh, in ankles. And what you, you, when you arrive to the physiotherapist, you come in on a crutch because you can't walk. The first thing the physiotherapist does is take that crutch off you because the longer you use that crutch, the more tight those ligaments to become the less movement you uh, you uh, the more movement you lose in that ankle or whatever it is that you've damaged and then it never restores to itself but what does the physio do he does the worst thing that could ever possibly happen when you've damaged something he starts moving it that's what's happened to me my ankles he grabs it 
forward, backwards, gets you to go home, straighten out that knee, bend that knee, open up that knee, do squats, getting you to movement because he knows if you don't move it, the movement will be lost. If you don't move, and that's what happened, I believe that's what these, many of these reformed churches are like nowadays. They have just, they have not pressed in with the Lord. They have not seen these gifts in operation. They have settled down to a semblance of kind of, uh, uh, you know, uh, beautiful Christianity. And what are they? They're stiff. They've got this stiff upper lip rather than seeking the Lord in the way that he wants to be sought. It's painful when somebody takes a stiff broken appendage and moves it but you know what it's for your good you have to do it and your choices do you want to regain the function the full function of that appendage of that member or do you want to limp for the rest of your life when it wasn't necessary saints of God God does not want us to do those things sometimes he does but most of the time he doesn't he wants his bride his church his people his Christians his disciples to walk appropriately and not have an air of self-preservation. He wants them to be able to be loose and limber, meat for the master's use. And so we lean into him, but he's a good physiotherapist. He's the great physician. If he moves something and it hurts, he's doing it for a reason. And he's just checking the boundaries to see where it is. Saints of God, but it's okay to cry in those things. A travailing church is a weeping church. She is a weeping church. And saints of God, a, a travailing church, she is a praying church. The travailing church is a praying church. It says, and it came to pass, as she continued praying before the Lord, that Eli marked her mouth. Now Hannah, she spake in her heart, only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore Eli thought she had been drunken. And Eli said to her, how long wilt thou be drunken? Put away thy wine from thee. And Hannah answered and said, no, my Lord. I am a woman of a sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. Saints of God, we must do that in our lives at home. We don't just do that on Friday night prayer meetings. We must do that here in these prayer meetings. I remember we had prayer meetings before where people were pouring out their souls. Mary, first prayer meeting she ever came into, which was her first ever meeting, she thought she walked into a madhouse. No different to Eli. Eli thought that, that Hannah was drunken. Do you know when somebody is caught up with the Spirit, then they appear drunk at times. Be drunk with the Spirit, the Bible says. And that's not to say that we do things disorderly orderly we don't do things just whatever way we want to do but when someone is desperate they act strange they act different they act weird ask those doctors in those uh you know ask ask a guard who has to tell a, a mother that maybe their their loved one or child has just passed away you're going to see someone who just falls to pieces you're going to see someone who is no longer able to keep up the respectable appearances that they want to keep up why because it's bypassed all the faculties of reason and it's gone straight into the emotive state and saying to god when you're really seeking god not putting on a show for your brother or sister not trying to look like it but when you're really seeking God there's a desperation that comes about it and you know what sometimes it's ugly sometimes it doesn't look like the way it should be Eli was expecting Hannah to be nice and prim and proper but she was too desperate for proper she was too desperate she was too sore she was in too much pain she was not able to keep up appearances just for the sake of Eli although she always spoke to him with great reverence and respect 
but a travailing church is a praying church. Why do I bring all these things to a saints of God? Because we are blessed by the bridegroom, but we must not forget that we're worthy of a double portion because we're provoked, because we're weeping, and we must remain in those things because we're praying saying to God for the next 10 years if we ever lose our ability to travail if we ever try take away if we ever try run from provocation just to have a more comfortable life we've failed and I'm not saying that you purposely go out of your way seeking fights seeking difficult circumstances we didn't go looking for she wolves in sheep's clothing anytime throughout the years we didn't go looking for them saying hey do you want to come in here do you want to disrupt our church do you want to take some of our members? Do you want to split our church? Do you want to take people away? Do you want to ruin the life of a spiritual person? We never went seeking that. Jesus said it's impossible that troubles do not come. Troubles will come to every single born-again believer walking with him, but he'll give you the grace to go through with them. So we don't go looking for that. But if you, as a result of trying to protect yourself, flee from provocation when you know it's not the right thing to do, then you've lost You've, you, you're not walking in victory there. You're walking in defeat. We have to deal with things. Do you know all of the times that Brother Keith and Sister Candace dealt with issues? Sometimes it worked out well. And the people it worked out well with are probably still here. Sometimes it blew up in their face. And it blew up in their face in a way that they could never have possibly predicted. But I know from having watched that man and having watched their sister over the years, that didn't slow him down. That did not cause them to, to, to try. And do you know what? Even more so than that, any time it happened to a me, to a Paul, to a Hannah, to anybody who's been here for any length of time, he encouraged us, you have to keep walking. You cannot flee from these things. Just because you had a bad experience with someone else doesn't mean that you're allowed to shut the door and waste away at home just to protect yourself. Jesus on the cross said, said father forgive them they know not what they do not one single ounce of self-preservation you know when paul was saying that this morning he says you know jesus said they know not what they do i'm thinking to myself but they did and of course it's jesus's heart that's why but you know you read those people and you can if i if you were to ask me as an investigative journalist did they know what they were doing i would have said by the words of their mouth and the actions of their hearts and of their hands yes they did but He's not dealing with them. It's also, he's showing us something, and it's our art, at heart attitude. He's praying to God, and he's hoping that these people will find mercy. He's hoping that these people will be saved, and he's saying that he's giving them the benefit of the doubt, even in the face where it's basically pretty damning on their part. But you know what? It's beautiful. We watch that, and we think that's honorable. Jesus is an honorable man. And you know what? It's even more honorable when you stand for your principles in integrity in the face of adversity. The greater the adversity, the greater the enemy, the greater the reward at the end of it. It's, it, you know, it's, 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 I've seen people in churches, they have to submit to men like, who are like the apostle or who are like Saul, King Saul, like a David. Do you know, I think that's very, very honorable that they do that and they don't try, uh, they don't try kill him when they have the opportunity. They, they cut off a piece of his coat and they feel bad for it. It's very easy for us to submit to our leader, uh, our leaders here because we do our best to endeavor to, 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 to treat you right, to labor in the word of God, to seek his face. So you do get honor for that, but there's more honor when 
there's less ability in the pastor and the preacher. And when you support them to a greater degree, saints of God, Jesus stood there and said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they, what they do. And you might think, Jesus, how can you be serious? But you know what? That's his hard attitude. He so, so, so longed to see them come. To, he knew what was in store for them. He was the one that was going to judge them. He's the, if they didn't get right before they died, Jesus was going to be the one who was going to judge them someday from that book. And he knew it wasn't going to be good. It's often like our children. I know if my child does something bad, he thinks that there might be a way out of this situation that doesn't end in ruin for him. I know that that's not the case. So I am very gracious to him in those things. You know, put that down. And, you know, I don't get mad because I don't have to be because I know what's in store. Put that down. He says, no, or he holds on to it. Put it down. No, he holds on to it. And I know, put it, this is your last chance. Put it down. And I know what happens if he doesn't. I don't have to get mad. I don't have to get upset. I don't have to try protect myself. I don't have to try protect my honor in my own home or try, uh, try lay the law down. Why? Because I know, I know that someone's going to come and judge the quick and the dead if he doesn't drop that thing. And Jesus Christ is the same thing. And saints of God, you don't have to enact vengeance for yourself. Christ does that for us. He does that on our behalf. Go to him and he's going to, he's going to uh, give us what we ask of. This travailing church, saints of God, she's provoked. She's a weeping church. She is a praying church. And we can't lose sight of these things. That's what we have been for the last 10 years. And that's what we must be as we go forward. All of the things that we faced throughout all of the years, they cannot be used as a tool of the enemy to cause us to restrict ourselves, to tighten up, to not give as much space to the sinner that comes in. To you know, Now that things are nice and orderly, we can't get upset if Jason Frayne brings in some heroin addict who's half fallen asleep. You will, I wouldn't like you to see the fillers that me and Paul inflicted on this church in the early days throughout our meetings. Like, I mean, it was, I'll tell you after, you know, that, that we had meetings where they were very disrupted. On a Wednesday night or on a Friday night, you to have a prayer meeting. We arrive in, it's full of travelers, literally to the front door. What do we do? Stand up, preach the gospel. Keith stands up and gives glory to God. What does Sister Candace do? Takes their children into the other room, tries to do a kid club, but more like a, a boxing referee because of how, how those children are just taking swings at her. Then they don't like the referee, so she's getting it then as well. Saints of God, we cannot tighten up. We cannot stiffen up. When there's someone that needs the gospel, God help us. Let's give it to them. Let's not seek our creature comforts. And as we get older, as we become more mature, as we become more or um, set in our ways. Oh, God, help us, saints of God. We don't want to be like that. You know, the glory of the older man is the hoary head, but that hoary head could be a curse if it becomes something that uh, allows them to, to, to not do what they're supposed to do. If you understand what I'm saying, we don't want to be set in our ways. Or if we're going to be set in our ways, let our way be the way of the cross. Let our way be the way of seeking someone. Do you know, oftentimes in times past, someone comes in, and they need the gospel. Maybe I might prefer to sit down and drink my cup of tea. Maybe I'm too self-conscious. Maybe I don't know what I have to say. I discipline myself to sit down with that person. And I discipline myself to give my testimony. And you might say, oh, Brother Soph, how can that be a discipline? Well, then maybe you're not like me. But sometimes when you're tired, you don't always want to 
um, go into the rigmarole or whatever. You, 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 and you know what? That's a wrong art attitude. But what I'm saying is we must have supple hearts. We must have soft uh, necks, not be stiff-necked. We must seek the, the, the face of God, all of those things. It's toil, it's labor, but there is something at the end of it. The real church of Jesus Christ is in prayers and she fights on her knees. In the midst of her grief, Hannah pours out her heart to the Lord. Read through this chapter in scripture and you will read of a woman that walks with God. She is so fervent in her prayers that Eli accuses her of insobriety because we understand that the Bible says a woman should be sober. We know that that is the proper way for a lady to be and for a young man sober-minded. But he accuses her of insobriety. That shows me that man doesn't know how to judge. And we know, we've heard messages on it. He was going blind. He was getting fat. He didn't know how to judge. You know, Hannah was up there in Shiloh. And who did she see? Oh, Hophni and Phineas again. You know, they're carousing. Maybe they were chancing their arm with Hannah. The Bible says that they stood at the door of the temple, carousing all of the ladies. And yet Eli, Eli comes in here. You're drunk. Why don't you go deal with your own sons, Eli? Why don't you go look at Hophni and Phineas? This man lost uh, the ability to judge with his eyes. This woman was seeking the face of God, and she was doing it no matter what the case was. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Availeth much. That's what it says in James. The effectual fervent prayer. Fervent prayer. Don't let anyone mock you if you pray fervently, okay? And I'm saying we do things decently and in order, okay? That's what the Bible says. But we must be fervent in our prayers because it tells you how much you care about something. Do you know, tell these children, like I've got a bag of sweeties, but I've only got three of them and there's five children. Who wants it? You're going to see kids wrestling, tackling. Well, hopefully not these ones because they're, you know, raised better than that. But, do you know, they'll be me, 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 me. They want it. They want it. They want it. They'll be aggressive in their, in their approach. And that's the same with God. The Bible says that the kingdom of God suffereth violence and the violent take it by force. The Bible says that there's four things that are wise, four animals that are wise. One of them is, are, in sp are spiders. Why? Because they live in king's palaces and they take with their hands. Have you ever seen a spider come and ask for permission to catch a fly in your home? I haven't. And yet we think, oh God, if you don't mind, could you please just give me a Samuel? And it's, it, only if it's your will. Do you know, only per adventure. And I understand there's an aspect of coming respectfully. But this woman, she was saying, God, give me Samuel no matter what. No matter what. And do you know what? She made a vow unto God. She said, okay, God, give me the Samuel. I'll give him back to you. And she did it. That must have been a tough day. But you know what? I can only imagine the joy and pride after he was weaned. When she went back up to Shiloh, she landed him there with his packed lunch, his new coat, and said, you're Eli's now. And then he went away and ministered unto the Lord. Said, I'll see you next year. I'll bring you a new coat. And you know what? Travailing's good. But if, tra if we glory in our travailing, then we're sick too. There's something wrong with that. It's not something necessarily that we go for. But we want to see a day when we, the Samuels that we raise up, the, the, the purpose for which we were travailing begins to live, begins to grow, begins to bear fruit, begins to minister unto the Lord. This is the fruit born from that travailing. And then what do we do? We give it over. Do you know, for so long, we so desired to have people come competent people in this church, people that could alleviate burdens. When we were in uh, England, it was fantastic. Jerry was able to drive. We didn't have to um, be afraid that he's going to crash the car. We've often had people volunteering help. Throughout the years, we've not been short for volunteers, brother. But, but 
volunteers aren't always aren't always what you want. But when someone uh, is voluntold and they're capable, that's even better. We, I told Jerry, you got to drive that car, Jerry. And he, I said, can you drive to the church? He said, I guess if someone gave me directions. Do you know what? He, he didn't say, oh, no, I can't do it. Saying to God, this is the answer to our prayers. These things allow us to function to a greater degree. But you know what? If Samuel became the focus of Hannah's attention and love, then that would have been an idol to her. She would have just become like Panina. Her and Panina would have started going lunch together. They would have started being friends. They would have sat around and then Hannah would have went down from a worthy portion to just a portion. But saying to God, we cannot, that's not our focus. We never cared about numbers. We never did. But you know what? With more people is more love, is more care, is more prayers, is more uh, encouragement, is more love, is more friends. Is more of a church, is more people to evangelize. On that street, many times, me and Paul, we just dovetailed preaching. He preached, I preached, he preached, I preached. Years and years ago, we just went around the city streets. But to be able to just send a text and there's 10 people on the high street, you don't understand how much of a difference that makes. And that means that I don't have to go out yesterday. I can, I can be preparing and the whole show doesn't stop, you know. Before it would have meant 50% of the evangelism isn't able to go out. And so then Paul wouldn't have gone out. But saints of God, all of these things, they're important, but they're not to be focused. And how do we keep that safe in our hands? How do we keep what has gone on and happened in the last two years safe in our hands? Because as we've heard with homegrown leadership, we have to be careful of all these things. How do we keep it safe? Give it over unto God. Maybe Anna might have been afraid that Samuel became an idol, and it would have. She made a vow to God. She said, I better answer this vow. God gave me this kid. But, but Hannah, you were barren. Chances are you're not going to be able to have another kid. No, I promised God he could have him. I promise God he could have him. She didn't love the child. She loved life. That's why she wanted Samuel. She did, in the sense of she loved him, but her desire was not just to have a child that she could enjoy for the rest of her days. Her desire was ultimately to produce life, but to serve God. She, wanted, she knew that the, most, the best, most successful, most appropriate way for her as a mother and wife in that home was to bear a child that could minister unto God. Maybe she saw Hophni and Phineas and knew Eli needs someone else. She knew if Hophni and Phineas is the future of Israel, we're in big, big trouble. Oh, God, give us someone. God, give us a Samuel. We often, we feel like that nowadays. How many of us out of other churches where we saw it, they're, they're run by Eli's, Hophni and Phineas's, they're run by those people. And we say, if there's not a Samuel church to be raised up in this day and generation, we are finished. The future of this nation is done. Saints of God, that's why we travail. We travail because it's a time to travail. We seek him because it's a time to weep. It's a time to withstand the provocation of the enemy. It's a time to pray. It's a time to seek him. And I'm, I'm, I'm coming into land. A travailing church is instrumental in the plan and the purpose of God. You know, if you were to ask, okay, ask Hannah, who's going to be more useful in the hands of the Almighty God? She would say, obviously, it's Panina. Her womb functions. Uh, she's got loads of children. Her name means jewel. Do you know that means she must be more useful? Um, but not so. That's not what God's looking for. He bypasses that and he gives the double portion. We're to be instrumental in the plan of God. As long as we can, as long as we consider these things, we write these things on our hearts. As long as we seek God's face, if we ever lose prayer, we're finished. Yeah. If we ever lose the ability to weep, we're finished. If we ever do what we can to, 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 to protect ourselves from the wiles of the enemy, we are finished. 
We don't say God, we don't say God stop those things. We say God grant us the ability to go through with those things. We pray for him and say, God, help us in the midst of these things. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Without Hannah, there would be no Samuel. Without a woman travailing to bring forth new life, there would not have been a prophet to anoint the first king of Israel. This church, Limerick City Church, I believe, is much like Hannah. And I know we were birthed as a Samuel church, but I believe that we, 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 we're very much like Hannah also. We faced many provocations over the last 10 years. We faced much confusion over the last 10 years. We faced much spiritual barrenness over the last 10 years. And I don't mean spiritual in our own spirits necessarily. There, this... This church was always a wellspring of life to me. I came in on Friday nights, uh, could barely lift my head, just have to get into that prayer meeting, and then those rivers begin to flow. But I mean barrenness in a sense of just, we were watering, we were watering, we were watering, and we didn't see much return for those things. But lately, so, <clears throat> but lately some of that has changed in a sense of, you all know, and we've said it very often, you know, I take that picture of all of us at the, in England. It's amazing. It's incredible. It's so encouraging. There's 40 out of us over there, and that's because the Lord has done it. It's not, the preaching hasn't changed. The meeting times haven't changed. Nothing is, the buildings, the buildings haven't really changed. Nothing has changed. But God, that, that wind just blew. That wind just blew, and then those people came in. But you know what? We also suffered grief in the midst of those wonderful last two years. Fantastic. And just with the same amount of joy that we feel for those things, we have met with an equal or greater amount of grief in the loss of our sister Candace. Do you know, someone was asking me the other day, you know, isn't it, I can't remember who it was, but effectively saying, this is fantastic, isn't it great? Aren't you, aren't you very encouraged? And I said, Yes and no. It's just like Jacob. When he, so Jacob, his name is no longer Jacob. He's a prince with God, but he walks with a limp. You know, everything is twinged with the fact that Candace isn't here to enjoy it. Everything is twinged with, yeah, I'm enjoying it, but I'm, I'm reaping where I did not sow, in a sense. Or I'm, I'm reaping in a field that was, that was plowed by some, on someone's back who never got to enjoy that thing. Saints of God, God has an interesting way of balancing all of these things, keeping us grounded, understanding where things are. But saints of God, it's been... There have been aspects that have been wonderful. But one thing I know is that Elkanah, my Redeemer, has bestowed upon us a worthy portion. In the last few years, it feels like a breakthrough in that souls have begun to come in and be saved. And praise God for that. But I believe there are five more children. Do you know the Bible says that Hannah went on to have five more children and I don't mean we're only going to have five more con converts I believe that those five children are representative of God producing five times what she gave up to him she gave up her one and only son nowhere in the Bible do you read that she's promised that she's going to have more kids and yet she was blessed with them in greater abundance to what we had before this is wonderful but I'm not stopping here I don't want to stop at 45. I want to see the city saved. I want to see people born again. We want to see people come in and be changed. We don't want to have a nice semblance of Christianity. Oh, praise God. Now we've got a full building on a Sunday morning. God, help us if that ever becomes the point of our focus or the point of our attention. But we have to see a city there. We're, we're not going to 
arrest until those drugs are off these streets, until those drug dealers, this man next door, until that man is finished selling his crack cocaine, I will not rest. This city is getting worse. We see it day by day. We've got motorbike gangs going around all the places. We've got um, drug, the drugs are getting way worse. Crack cocaine's hitting Ireland uh, like a flood, worse than it ever been. Read a news article the other day. They said fentanyl is going to be in Ireland very, very soon and telling the Gardaí that they need to prepare. Saying to God, if we're just happy with what we see in this building here today, we have lost sight of it. If you're just happy with your nice Christianity, you've lost sight of it. We have to think of other people other than ourselves. She gave up Samuel. Look at how that affected a nation. Completely affected a nation. And better yet, she got five more people back. Saints of God, I'm not stopping with Samuel. I want five more people to come in. Five times what we have now. Five times the amount of souls. Five times the amount of evangelism. Why can't we have prayer meetings every day? Why can't we have so many people where there's always a witness on those streets? You might say, oh, well, there's not enough people. Why not? Why can't there be? There can't be those things now because we have uh, limited resources. But saints of God, we have to look up. We have to see these things. Jesus says, when you see all of these things approach, he says, look up for your redemption draweth nigh. He's the King of Kings. He's the Lord of Lords. He's the one who's going to do these things for us. If we seek his faith, we have to travail. We have to seek his face and we cannot lose sight of that. Stand with me. Father Lord, we praise you, O God. We glorify you, O God.